Beruchim Abayim, ladies, welcome. It's good to be back. So we are uh, studying the Parashat Shavua, and it's Parashat Vayetzeh. Now, to be honest with you, I intended to try to go through the parasha with you, as we usually do, but my apologies, I was not, I was unable to get past the first pasuk. Uh, and I got so stuck that uh, I was not, uh, I was not able to go further. That's it. It sounds like the most simple, easy, innocuous pasuk in the Torah. Vayetzeh Yaakov me'er Shava. Yaakov left Be'er Sheva. That's where he was living with his parents. And then we know that Esav got angry last week when Yaakov received the blessing. So Esav had some uh, animosity. And therefore he had to leave Be'er Sheva. Harana. And he went to Haran. Well, we know that also because... If you remember, his father told him, go to Haran. That's where you're going to find your wives. And that's the truth. He did find not only one wife, he actually found four wives in Haran. He did good. So this pasuk over here is very, very simple. It's not saying anything that is surprising or shocking or that is unexpected. However, the hachamim over here all of them are bothered with this pasuk. Let's go in order. We'll start with Rashi's concerns. Rashi has two concerns. I'm going to discuss his second concern first. His second concern is that the pasuk does not have to tell me he left Be'er Sheva. It just has to tell me he went to Haran. For example, if I say I'm going to Florida... I don't have to say I'm leaving New York and I'm going to Florida. We know you're living in New York. You just have to tell me where you're going. And especially the Torah, every word is measured. The Torah is not uh, you know, just getting paid by the word. On the contrary, the less words, the better. The Torah is very economical in its words. So the Torah can just say very simple. Vayelech Yaakov harana. And everybody would be very happy. Why does it have to say, He left Be'er Sheva. We know where he's living. You don't have to tell me he left. If he got to Haran, he must have left Be'er Sheva. Isn't that uh, obvious? So Rashi comes along and says, a big chedush. And he says, Why does it have to mention that he left? Ela Magid, to come and teach us, that when a tzaddik leaves a, a place, he creates a vacuum. When the tzaddik is living in the city, he is the glory and the splendor of the city. When the tzaddik leaves, there goes the splendor, there goes the glory, there goes all the light. So the Pasuk is coming to say, When he left, 
It wasn't the same place anymore. The tzaddik leaves, the town uh, has a, uh, a, a definitely missing something. The tzaddik's presence takes away from the town. So there was something that the Torah wants to tell you in the departure of a tzaddik. Something happened in the Yitzia of Yaakov. And what was that? It left a emptiness in the city. Very nice. I have a question on that sheet, if I may ask. This is very important to know, by the way. When Tzaddikim leave the city, or if God forbid a Tzaddik dies, it's not the same city anymore. Because when the Tzaddik is there, he gives it a lot of spiritual energy. And when the Tzaddik leaves, the town loses. Therefore, the, the, the real estate should go down when the Tzaddik leaves the city. Now, the new city that gets him is lucky, but the city that lost them, they lose him. But Yitzhak Yaakov. But my question is, Yaakov Abinu is not the first Tzaddik to ever leave a city. As a matter of fact, we learned, Abraham and Sarah left. So why does that she wait to tell me this big hidush about the vacuum that's created on the departure of Tzaddikim? Why does he wait till Yaakov? Why don't you tell it to me earlier on? But Abraham left. I mean, if Rashi could tell you the Hiddush earlier, why does he wait for later? Unless there's a bigger Hiddush by telling it to me by Yaakov than Abraham. So I'd like to explain to you why it's a bigger novelty to say it by Yaakov than it would be by Abraham. I have a few answers over here. Number one. Abraham and Sarah were very outgoing people. You know, Abraham had a chesed enterprise. So when Abraham is in the city, there's a lot of action in his tent. There's always parties and seudot and classes. Uh, Abraham Abinu was a, a very, very large man, very charitable. And therefore, everybody in the city for sure knows when Abraham is there. And when he leaves, it's obvious that the city is not going to be the same. He takes away all the, uh, 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 the character of Abraham, all his personality goes with him, and everybody knows we're losing uh, this great man. So it goes without saying. You don't have to tell me when Abraham and Sarah left the city, they left the vacuum. But let's talk about Yaakov for a minute. What type of tzaddik was Yaakov? Exactly. Yaakov, it says, Ishtam. He's a wholesome man. Yoshev Ohalim. And what does he do all, all the day long? He sits in the Beit Midrash and learns. Not too much interaction with the people. Uh, maybe some of the people don't even know that Yaakov Abinu is in the town in the first place. He's a rabbi. He's locked up in his, uh, in his four cubits. He has a book and he's learning. So therefore you might have thought that when a tzaddik like that leaves the city... Nobody knew that he was there in the first place. So when he leaves, it might not make the biggest difference. And that's why the Pasuk says, no, even when Yaakov Abinu left the city, since he was a tzaddik, and even though he might not have had an impact directly with the people, he had an indirect impact. The fact that a tzaddik is learning Torah, the whole town is elevated because of it. And therefore, that she waited to tell me this chidush by Yaakov Abinu, so you shouldn't think that when Yaakov Abinu left, 
uh, it didn't really change the, uh, 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 the chemistry of the city. She says it changed it. Even a tzaddik that stays in his own quarters is also uh, 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 contributing to the spiritual fabric of the city. So that's why Nashik waited uh, until the end. I have another explanation that I wrote. <clears throat> when Abraham and Sarah left the city, how many tzaddikim were left behind? Very good, zero. Abraham and Sarah were the only tzaddikim. So therefore you went from a town that has two tzaddikim, and now you have none. Well, isn't it obvious that there's going to be a vacuum? When you go from two to nothing, so therefore the town obviously is going to be bankrupt. But in the case of Yaakov, how many tzaddikim did you have in the city? Well, let's go slow. You had Yaakov, you had Yitzchak, and you had Rivka. So you had three tzaddikim. Now when Yaakov leaves... So you have now, instead of three, you have two. And that's not bad, by the way. I mean, it, so you're down one. So I would have thought that maybe as long as there's a few tzaddikim still left in the city, not so bad. And therefore maybe the city does not have a deficiency. And maybe it's not going to be felt. And that's what she has to go out of his way and say, that even in the case of Yaakov, where he left two tzaddikim, but there was a measurable difference. Because you can't compare a city that has three tzaddikim to a city that has two tzaddikim. By Abraham, it was obvious. Because in Abraham's case, you went from two tzaddikim to no tzaddikim. I don't have to tell you that. I'm telling you a bigger chadush. That even when you go from three to two, every extra tzaddik in the city will make a difference. So therefore, you shouldn't think if you have a yeshiva. We have the mirror yeshiva across the street. And let's say you have 300 boys learning. And all of a sudden, one boy decides he's leaving the yeshiva. So you shouldn't say to yourself, ah, it's a difference, you have 299 boys still learning. It's not going to make such a big difference. Yes, there's a difference between 300 boys learning and 299 boys. Every time there's a decrease in the tzaddik or in the learner, the town definitely is less well off. So that would be the third or the second interpretation. Fine. So therefore, I'm satisfied. Rashi has explained to me why it says, It's coming to tell me that when he left, something left with him. Very nice. <clears throat> Are you ready to listen to a different interpretation? I have many interpretations. I have a, a, a great menu in front of me, but then I want to come to tell you the main entree, what I came to talk about. But this is just to open your appetite. There's a rabbi called the Tud. I have a copy of it here. It's called the Tud. He's one of the early rabbis. Now, do you know that the great Sadiqim, <clears throat> they have a trick using holy names of Hashem that they're able to get from one place to another uh, in a very quick speed, speed of light time. It's called Kipitzat Derech. If we only would have that in Brooklyn, we'd be able to uh, overcome all the traffic. And we could just say, you know, a name of Hashem, and all of a sudden you'd be on the other side of town. <clears throat> but unfortunately, uh, we, don't, we don't have that. But the Tzadikim did have it. So Yaakov Abinu uh, definitely used Kipitzat Derech. I think we learned 
in previous years how Eliezer, even the servant of Abraham, knew how to use Kifitzat HaDerich, where they could find themselves, you know, Abracadabra, all of a sudden they're in a different place. And they get there in, uh, uh, you know, in, in a jiffy, as they say. So the tour, he says, if you read the Pasuk, you will learn from the way the Pasuk is written that Yaakov got there very quickly. How? He left Be'er Sheba, and the second he left, it's coming to tell us there wasn't too much time between the time that he left and at the time that he arrived. So that's why the Pasuk is saying it. It wants to compare his leaving to his coming. That it's almost as if to say the second he left Be'er Sheba, I'll read you the language of the tour. Very nice that he came there uh, uh, immediately. So that's, a, that's another interpretation. <clears throat> now open, open your minds, ladies, to hear different variations and how we're going to learn. There was a rabbi called the Nitziv. The Nitziv is the chief rabbi of the Volajan Yeshiva. Nitziv is an acronym. Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. I was in the Belazhen Yeshiva. I wasn't a student there, but I went to visit it uh, recently on a trip to Belarus. And you see, this was the mother of all the yeshivas. And this Nitziv wrote a sefer called He'emek Davar. It's a commentary on the Torah. And he tells us something that he believes also is alluded in the Pasuk. Did Yaakov Abinu go directly from Be'er Sheva to Haran? No. Not really. You're right, not really. He made what's called a pit stop. And this is a long pit stop. A 14-year pit stop. He actually checked himself in to the yeshiva I know you're saying Yeshivat Shem Ve'evid. I just want to make a clarification just so you don't make this mistake that I made. The Yeshiva was not called Yeshivat Shem Ve'evid. At one point in its history, it was called Yeshivat Shem. And there was another Yeshiva across the street that was called Evid. There was two different Yeshivas. So we say quickly Yeshivat Shem Ve'evid, but it's not Yeshivat Shem. It's Yeshivat Shem and Yeshivat Evid. For whatever reason, he checked himself into Yeshivat Eved. I guess he was hiding from Esav, and the last place Esav is going to walk into is a Bet Midrash, so therefore it's a great place to hide from your brother. So according to the Nitziv from Valazhan, listen how he reads the Pasuk. Now I know you ladies don't learn Ta'amim. You didn't have your Bar Mitzvah, so you didn't have to learn Ta'amim. But I had to learn Ta'amim. And there's a note in the cantillation that's called atnah. Atnah means a pause. It's like we would say in, in English, I guess, a comma or a semicolon. So the pasuk is read, pause. And then it says, says the Nitziv, why is there a pause? Because that's hinting to us, there was a pause between from when he left Be'er Sheba until he went to Haran. There was a break in the action. How long? 14 years. Where was he? In Yeshivat Eved. So then when the Pasuk is coming to tell us, don't think that it was immediate from Be'er Sheva to Haran. 
The pasuk is saying from the time he was vayetzer the be'er sheva, put a put a, a, a break over there, put a, a, an interruption. There was a gap between vayetzer Yaakov and be'er sheva until vayelech harana. So far, how many explanations we said? Three. We said Rashi's interpretation. We said the tour's interpretation. Now I'm saying from the Nitziv. You're going to be tested on all the interpretations at the end of the class. I want to tell you an interpretation I heard many years ago when I was studying in yeshiva. That was said from the rabbi called Beta Levi. Beta Levi is the rabbi called Rabbi Salavechik, Shalom. From the dynasty, dynasty of the brisk Sadiqim. He says something beautiful. Yaakov Abinu fulfilled the mitzvah of kibud avaim par excellence. I know we always give credit to Esav. Oh, Esav was such a you know respectful uh, 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 boy to his father. But that doesn't mean Yaakov wasn't respectful. He also fulfilled kibud avaim. Now, if you remember in last week's parasha, Rivka was worried about Yaakov, and the Rivka tells Yaakov, "You better get out of town." You better run away because Esav wants to kill you. So Rivka's main uh, instruction to Yaakov was leave Be'er Sheva. She didn't really care where he goes. The main thing that Rivka was concerned is you got to leave because there's danger in Be'er Sheva. If you remember what Yitzhak Avinu tells his son on the way out, go to Padan Aram because it is over there where you're going to find a wife. So Yitzhak was more concerned, not that he leaves Be'er Sheba, but he was more concerned where he, where he arrives to. It was more important to Yitzhak, the destination, that what? You get to Haran. So now Yaakov is in a dilemma. His mother's telling him, you have to leave Be'er Sheba because it's dangerous. His father's telling him, you have to go to Haran to get married. So look at the tzaddik. He wants to fulfill the will of his mother, and he wants to fulfill the will of his father. So the pasuk says, when Yaakov leaves Be'er Sheva, Yaakov Be'er Sheva. And what does he have in mind when he's doing that? Kibud em. Because my mother says, leave Be'er Sheva. And when he gets to Haran, he's fulfilling Kibud av. Because his father was the one that told him to go to Haran. So the Pasuk is telling us both legs of the trip. Because each leg, he's fulfilling a different commandment from a different parent. Rivka is Vayetzei Yaakov Be'er Shaba. And Yitzhak is what? Vayetek Harana. And the Pasuk splits it up to tell me that Yaakov had both kabanot. When he exited Be'er Sheva, he said, this is L'Shem Yehud Kucha Berichu, I am now about to fulfill the mitzvah of Kibud Em. And on the way to Haran, he said, now I'm about to fulfill the mitzvah of Kibud Av. So that's yet a, another interpretation. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a Kabbalistic interpretation that I would like to offer today as well. And there's a practical lesson that you could learn from it. It's a, it's a nice interpretation and it explains exactly what this pasuk is coming to hint. There's a halakha that says that when a person is traveling, 
He needs protection. And the halakha says that when you see somebody uh, traveling, it's a mitzvah to depart from your friend saying words of halakha. If you ever saw somebody travel, sometimes you see them give tzedakah, and they say, you'll take the tzedakah, bishaliyah mitzvah. That's a nice thing. But the Gemara says that haniftar mehavero, when a person is departing from his friend, al yipater memenu ila mitoch devre halakha. You should say halakha. And the, one of the logic of the reason of this mitzvah is, so you're saying devre Torah, and it'll protect them. Devre the Torah will protect. Now there's an old custom. Which halakha do we tell the people before they travel? So there's an old custom that they say, Yahid v'rabim, halakha k'rabim. You ever heard that? Yahid v'rabim means like this. If there's an argument between one rabbi, Yahid, and the majority is arguing against that one rabbi. So it's an argument between Yahid and Rabim. Who does the halakha follow? Halakha k'rabim. You ever hear the saying, majority rules? That's the way we say it. Yahid v'rabim, halakha k'rabim. It's a very easy halakha. So therefore, we're not going to start confusing a guy, opening up Shohan Aruch and reading him some uh, complicated, intricate law. Uh, the guy's already nervous that he has to travel. Now you're going to start to complicate him with all these sophisticated laws. So we make it very simple. You're traveling, good luck. Yahid v'rabim, halakha k'rabim. Now you know what to do? So I asked, well, we have other easy halakhot. You know, sometimes they say, you have to say the Torah on the table. So one rabbi said that that's why we got the custom before we make the washing of our hands before Bekat Amazon, they say, Because that's a Shukhan Aruch, it's a Halakha. It's three words. And that's the Devre Torah on the table. What do you mean? What did you say? We said Halakha. You have to wash your hands before Bekat Amazon. So I had, a, I had the same question. Before a person travels, instead of saying, that's four words, Make it shorter. We don't, want, we don't want him to miss his flight. So you should say, listen, good luck on your trip. My maharanim hoba. What's the difference? And, and what's the difference? Just say halakha. What's the difference? No, they want you to say majority rules. Okay. I think my maharanim hoba is more appropriate because this guy probably is going to eat on his trip like most people do. And you're reminding him, make my maharanim. He's not a judge. They have to tell him, Yahid v'rabim, alakhat k'rabim. What does he care about majority rules? He's not, a, he's not a Supreme Court justice. Why not tell him a more appropriate halakha? Yes? Understanding what I'm saying? But there's an answer. You know that Hashem has many names. Many names you know, but there's a lot you don't know. You know the names that you see in the Sidur. For example, Yudke Vavke, that name you know. That's the name of mercy. You know the name Elohim. That's the name of God's strict judgment. You know the name on the Mezuzah, the Shin Dalit and the Yud. But there's so many other names that are esoteric names that are used when a person is in certain situations. Names of protection, uh, names of, uh, of panasa, names of peace, names to bring down different uh, energies as, uh, as willed. There is a name of Hashem 
And I'll tell you where it comes from. That is specifically used to bring a person protection when he's traveling. And it's important that you know this name. Especially if you don't like turbulence. When the plane is shaking, you just have kavanah of this name over here. I cannot guarantee that it's going to take away the turbulence. But at least you'll know that you're protected. Not only turbulence, but generally when a person travels, the Gemara says, Kol sakana. All the roads are dangerous. So you need protection. So you should think of this holy name of Hashem and you'll be protected. The Shem is, if you want to write it down, I can say it very simple to you. It's the acronym Yud Vav He Chaf. Like Yom HaKippurim, Yud Vav He Chaf. And where do they get it from? There's a pasuk. Ki Malachav Yitzavelach God will send you his angel to protect you. Listen to what I'm saying. Ki. What's the last letter of Ki? A Yud. Ki Malachav. Malachav, the last letter is Vav. Ki Malachav Yitzaveh. Yitzaveh is a He. Ki Malachav Yitzaveh Lach. Lach is a Chaf. And therefore, there's also a custom that when a person leaves, we tell them, Ki Malachav Yitzaveh Lach. That God should escort you with the angels. And we think in our minds, Ki, the Yud, Malachav, the Vav, Yitzaveh, the He, Lach, the Chav. And therefore we're giving him the protection of Yud, Vav, He, Chav. And now you understand why we say the Halakha, Yahid, Verabim, Halakha, Kerabim. Because that's Rashi Tevot, Yud, Vav, He, Chav. So we know he's not a judge. And we know we can tell him, but we're interested in giving him the acronym of a halakha that also has the rashetivot of the shem of Shabira. You understand what I just said? Yahid verabim halakha kerabim. And that's the rashetivot of the shem of Shemira Baderich. So far, so good. You learned something now. So look what the Gaon of Vilna says. How amazing. He says, there's no extra words in the, in the Torah. And if you see extra words, you have to ask, what are they doing here? Listen to the Pasuk again. And Yaakov left Be'er Shaba. Harana. Now if you have papers in front of you, It'll help you. Vayelech harana. The Gaume Villa says, you don't have to write Vayelech harana. We could say, Vayetzei Yaakom Be'er Shava Leharan. Very simple. Leharan. Vayelech harana. They make it very simple. Vayetzei Yaakom Be'er Shava. He left the Be'er Shava. Where did he go to? Leharan. Instead, you're telling me, Vayelech harana. So the Gaon Vilna says, well, let's figure out how many extra letters there are by writing Vayelech Harana instead of just writing Leharan. So the Rab says, well, Leharan. Well, Leharan, well, Vayelech, we have a Lamed. So that Lamed would have been there regardless. But the Vav of Vayelech would have been extra. The Yud would have been extra, and the Kaf would have been extra, and the He of Harana 
is extra. Which actually is the letters Yud Vav Hechaf. So the Pasuk is coming to tell you, says the Gaon, that because Yaakov is traveling on the Derech, he needs protection of the Shem of the of the of, of Akadosh Baruch Hu. So therefore the Torah went out of its way to write extra letters, Vayelecharana, as opposed to Leharan, adding the Yud, the Vav, the He, and the Chav, in order to allude us that Yaakov was Mechaven, the Shem of Shemirah, in order to travel and have safe journeys. And you see it worked, because ultimately he did come home uh, after the whole ordeal, whatever it was, but he did come home in peace. So that's yet another uh, interpretation. Why the Pasuk is written as it is. All right, I'd like to say one more before I get to what I came to talk about. Ladies, I hope you appreciate, even the, uh, the appetizers in some classes is the main entree. This is just appetizers. In some classes, they sell this as the main, uh, the main event, and the people are very happy. But what should I say? You're spoiled. Over here, I'm going to tell you a chidush from a rabbi called the Pa'neyah Raza. Pa'neyah Raza has a big chidush here. Yaakov Abinu goes to Be'er Sheva, leaves Be'er Sheva primarily uh, to get married. That was the real intention. And he ends up marrying four wives. So the rabbi says, well, look at this. Look at the last letters of Vayetzeh Yaakov Be'er Sheva. The last letter of Vayetzeh is an aleph. No, aleph, Vayetzeh is an aleph. Yaakov is a bet. Be'er is a resh. And Shaba is a ayin. Ah, exactly. Those four letters actually spell the word Arba. Which is, he was on, he left Be'er Sheva in order to find four wives. So the rabbi asked, but why are they written out of order? Why is the Torah write Arba in order? It's written Aleph, Bet, Resh, Ayin. It's boggled. It's because he didn't get his wives in order either. Because he wanted to marry Rachel first. But they gave him... So therefore it's hinting to us that it's Arba, but it's Arba in a boggled, boggled form. Alright, that's, that's that. That is a rabbi called the Pa'neyah Raza. Raza, Resh Zayin Aleph. Alright. Now let's begin the study of the parasha. There's another question on this pasuk, which is the first question that she has. Even though I wasn't here last week, they read the parasha. And take my word where I was, I also read the parasha. But I'll review it. At the end of last week's parasha, the pasuk actually says, and you're not going to believe it, the Pasuk says, at the end of Toledot, Vayishlach Yitzchak et Yaakov, Yitzchak sent Yaakov, Vayelech Padena Aram. And he went to Padana Aram. So, we know already from last week's parasha that he left Be'er Sheva, and he went to Padana Aram. So why does the Pasuk have to tell us something that we know already? 
So you're talking about Rabbi that last week. We forgot already what happened last week. No, you, you can't forget. It just happened a couple of days ago. If it didn't tell me last week that he left, I understand. But it says clearly, There's no other way to learn that. He went to Padan Aram. So that's it. Game over. Why do you have to start the parasha and start? And you scratch. I know this from somewhere. Of course you know it from somewhere. You know it from last week's parasha. Why does the Torah have to write something that we already know? That's Nashi's question. So Nashi answers. You're not going to like his answer. <clears throat> but that's what he says. He says that, listen, after Yaakov, the Torah tells us he went to Padan Aram, the Torah starts to tell us about Ishmael. And that Ishmael, <clears throat> he saw that his father wasn't happy with his wives. And then he went to Esav, wasn't happy, his father wasn't happy, so he went to Ishmael, and he got some other wives over there, whatever it was, I don't think he did any better than he did before, but anyway, he thought that he'd do better by Ishmael, so there's a whole interruption now with Ishmael and Esav making a shiduk with Ishmael. So that she says, but now we got to go back to the story of Yaakov. So it has to reintroduce Yaakov again. Since there was an interruption in the middle over there, so it's like, now back to the ranch, now back to the, uh, to the regular program. Okay, that's an answer. I know you don't like it so much <clears throat> because you told it to me already. But since there was a gap in between, so now we have to introduce the main story that we want to talk about. Yeah, I don't care about Esav getting married, to be honest with you. I really care about Yaakov getting married. But you, you broke it up. So then we have to go back and introduce, reintroduce Yaakov by saying, So, oh, we're back to that story? What happened to Esav and his marriage? Who knows? But, but this is where we're up to now. That's the shit. But today I came to say a deeper explanation. <clears throat> Let's go a little further in the parasha. I was kidding when I said I only did the first pasuk. Let's go further. So Yaakov Abinu starts to travel. And all of a sudden, he gets to uh, a place. The sun sets. He takes the rocks. He makes himself a little uh, protection, some rocks. He puts the rock under his head. That's a pillow. Some pillow. And he goes to sleep. And then it says, He has a dream. What was the dream? You know the dream. The ladder. The ladder going up, the angels going up and down. All of a sudden he has a revelation. I'm the God of your father Abraham. The land that you're resting on will be yours. You're going to be, uh, have a blessing. You're going to multiply. Listen to this dream. I am with you. You're going to be protected. I am going to return you back home. You have nothing to worry about. 
I will never leave you. Until I fulfill everything I told you. Now, can you get a better dream than this? I mean, Yaakov Abinu has to be scared. He's all alone now. His brother wants to kill him. He's going to Lavan's house, which is not any better. He means he's going from the mouth of the lion to the mouth of the, uh, of the tiger. It's not any better in Lavan's house. And then he has to make it his way back. So there's no better guarantee you could get in a dream where God comes to him and says, don't worry, I'm protecting you and you have my word. You will be returned in peace. Can I fast forward for a minute? Thank you. In next week's perasha, which is by Yishlach, I fast forwarded. Yaakov got married. Yaakov has his children. He tells Laban, Arrivederci, I'm going back to, I'm going back home. I'm going back home. So the pasuk comes along and says, on the way back home, he's told, oh, Esav is coming after you. Esav has 400 men, 400 generals, 400 chieftains, and he's coming to attack. Now, if I was Yaakov, you know what I would, what I would have said? Who cares? By the way, even if you told me there's 4,000 men, already I have a guarantee. By the way, if I, I don't need a guarantee from Hashem. If the Baba Sali told me, you have nothing to worry about, Sleep good, you have the beracha, everything's going to be okay. What did the Baba Zali told me? All the more so, if Hashem Yitbarak tells Yaakov, Ushmarticha, Bechol Hashem Telech, Vahashivoticha, I'm going to bring you back home. So, so, so Yaakov should t- tell the angels, oh, there's 400 men, tell Esav, jump in the lake. That's what I would have told Esav. Jump in the lake, I have a kamiya from Hashem that guarantees my safety. So he can intimidate me and try to scam me and all that stuff. But what does the Pasuk say about Yaakov's reaction? Hold on to your seats. Vayira Yaakov me'od. Vayira Yaakov me'od. He was very afraid. Very afraid. Vayetzedlo. Vayetzedlo means that he was, was worried. And I'm saying... The last one in the world that has to be afraid and worried is Yaakov Abinu. He had the dream. What I'm telling you now comes from a rabbi called Rabbi Azariah Fijo. Fijo or Ficho. He was a Sephardi rabbi. He lived in the 1500s in Venice. He was a great Talmudic scholar, and he also wrote a sefer called Bina La'itim. He's well known. His book is studied, and he wrote Dirashot. I found in his 14th Dirasha, because each Dirasha has a number, Dirasha number one. In the 14th Dirasha, he goes into this whole subject of the dream of Yaakov. And he says, what happened after Yaakov has the dream? Well, he wakes up. He wakes up from his sleep. 
Oh, because I didn't know what he woke up from. I mean, what, what do most people wake up from? You wake up from your sleep. Does the pasuk have to tell me he woke up from his sleep? If somebody, come along, somebody comes to you and says, I woke up this morning at 8 o'clock, do you ask them, what exactly did you wake up from? <laughs> oh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you. I woke up from my sleep. Oh, you woke up from your sleep. You should have told me. I didn't know what you woke up from. Of course you wake up from your sleep. <laughs> you have to tell me this. Again, if you believe that there's no extra words in the Torah, Fine. Anyway, he wakes up. So what does he say? It's hard to imagine what he says. He says, listen, it's a great dream. A lot of guarantees in the dream. So he makes a, a vow to God and he says, if God will be with me, and he'll protect me on the road that I'm going, and he'll give me food, and so on, and so forth. And I will return home in peace. I will give a lot of tzedakah, and I will serve God, I'll bring a korban. Understand. What do you mean, im, if? You just had the dream. Is, is Yaakov questioning Hashem? Hashem just told him, you got protection, and you're going to have all the berachot, and I'm going to bring you home. So Yaakov wakes up in the morning and says, well, listen, I'll make you a deal. If, if it happens, if it happens, if it happens, God should say, guess what? Now it's not going to happen. Because you're questioning. You, you remember when Abraham questioned in Brit bin Abitarim? <clears throat> he just asked a simple question. God Almighty, how do I know? How do you know? That's it. Your children are going to be slaves for 400 years. This is worse. This is not quite. This is so me. It sounds like he's skeptical. If I was Yaakov, I would have got up and said, Beautiful, this was the best dream I ever got. Hashem gave me a, a promise. I would say, thank you, Hashem. I intend to pay you back, uh, uh, you know, with Ma'asir and Kurbanon. Not like, well, listen, if it happens, then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll reciprocate. I mean, if it happens. You know what the Rav says? Something amazing. Yaakov... Let me say it like this. Did anybody in this room ever have a dream? Yeah, you, know, you don't feel personal. I'm not going to ask what you dreamt. Uh, <laughs> I also have dreams. Well, how do you know if your dream is a dream or it's a prophecy? How, how are you supposed to know? Which is, by the way, a very, very important question because... Yaakov went to sleep. He had a dream. He wakes up. Now, how was he supposed to know exactly if the dream was a, a prophecy or maybe it was just a dream? Like we have. 
Now, by the way, you could have spiritual dreams too, by the way. I could dream that I was learning in the yeshiva, and they made me the Rosh Yeshiva, I don't know. But that doesn't mean, oh, I had a prophecy. You had a dream, whatever you were thinking about during the day. I don't know what happened. It's a figment of your imagination. The Binale team wants to know, how does Yaakov know if the dream that he just had was indeed a prophecy or maybe it was just a dream? That's a nice miracle, but that doesn't prove anything about the dream. I mean, Hashem can make a miracle for the tzaddik, but that doesn't prove yet if it's a legitimate prophecy or not. And you know what he ends up saying, the rabbi, Fijo? He wasn't sure. He wasn't sure. And for good reason. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you the good reason. First of all, Yaakov knows the rules. The rules are to receive prophecy, you have to be in a happy state of mind. And Yaakov was far from being in this happy state of mind. He's running, his brother's trying to kill him. He has to leave his father's house. Uh, he has to go to Laban's house, which cannot be a pleasant uh, uh, arrival, a uh, pleasant item. And he's scared. So Yaakov says, well, listen, I don't know if I'm in the right state even to get prophecy in the first place. So therefore, that's a red flag for prophecy. Furthermore, he says, usually when you have a prophecy, and you, I wouldn't know this, you wouldn't know this, but a lot of times the prophecy is done when the person is sleeping. But a lot of times it's self-induced. What I mean to say is, before the prophet gets his prophecy, Bore Olam will put him into a self-induced or godly-induced Sleep so we can have a vision. In this case, Yaakov went to sleep on his own. So it wasn't as if the sun set, he went to sleep. He took a rock, put it under his head, and went to sleep. So it's not like when he went to sleep, he knew he was having prophecy. He went to sleep like everybody goes to sleep. Furthermore, usually when you have prophecy, once the prophecy is over, you wake up. Because that was the purpose why Hashem put you to sleep. Once it's over, you wake up. It's not like you have a prophecy and then you continue sleeping for two more hours till your alarm goes off. In this case, the Pasuk says, Yaakov Yaakov woke up not immediately after the vision. He woke up after his sleep. So Yaakov is scratching his head and said, well, if it was a prophecy, why did I sleep two more hours? Forgive me. When Paro had his prophecy in the dream, you remember the Pasuk says, Vayikatz. He got up. The movie's over, you wake up. In Yaakov's case, he has the vision, but the Pasuk says, he didn't get up right away. Vayikatz Yaakov Mishinato. Which sounds like Later. So you see why Yaakov Abinu is questioning if, if it was a real prophecy or not? Furthermore, here's we go back to the beginning, Pasuk in the Perasha. <clears throat> Do you know that prophecy can only be uh, transmitted in Israel? You can't get uh, Wi-Fi in Hutzla Aris. There's no transmission, that's what it is. 
Rabbi Fijo writes that Yaakov Avinu over here, although he might not have left Israel yet, but he was on the way, he was on the way out. And when you're on the way out, since your direction is towards Chutzla'aris and not towards Israel, so for prophecy, you're going in the wrong direction. You remember when he had the dream? What did he see in the dream? The angels. What were the angels doing? Going up and going down. What, what do you mean going up? Angels start from up. It should say they went from up to down. Why did it say, Olim v'yorim, down to up? So that she says, because Yaakov had angels with him. But those angels were Israeli angels. And now he needed to switch those angels for Chutzla'aris angels. So the Israeli angels went up, and the Chutzla'aris angels... But he was still in Israel. But since he was on the way out already, Borealam had made a changing of the gods. So the Pasuk says... He left Israel. And he was intending to go to Haran. So that's what made him think that that vision was not a prophecy. Because his mind already was where? In Chutzla'aretz. So when he wakes up from the dream, what does he say? Im. I don't know if this was a prophecy or not. If it's a prophecy and God will do everything he said in this dream and it's true. Then I will, but if not, then I'll, then I'll know it's a dream. So you understand what's going on? So all these years, Yaakov is not sure that he's going to be protected. But he thinks he is because he survived Laban's house. He said, well, look at this. He didn't touch me. He tried to touch me, but he couldn't touch me. Must have been a prophecy. Now he starts to go home. Nothing. He doesn't hear from Esav. He is from nothing. He says, he's almost home. He says, beautiful, look at this. It's a prophecy. It's going to all be good. And all of a sudden he gets news. Esav's coming after you with 400 chieftains to kill you. At that point, Yaakov Abinu says, wait, maybe it was a dream. Because if it was a prophecy, God promised me everything's going to be... And I'm scared. Yaakov Abinu says, why am I scared? The rabbi says, the fact that he was scared worried him. And you know what worried him about the fact that he was scared? If I'm scared, that probably means that what I saw was not a prophecy, it was a dream. And therefore he was concerned that maybe it's, maybe it's not going to happen. Because he, he always was questioning if it was a prophecy or not. He wasn't questioning if God could give a prophecy and God could fulfill his word. He was questioning if what he visioned was a prophecy or not. And therefore, And finally, when he got saved from Esav and he gets home, at that point he says, Well, now I know, finally, after 22 years, I know exactly what took place on that night. My question has been answered. It was a guarantee from God. But until he put his foot back on Israel's soil, back to his father's house, he was always questioning, is it or not? And when Esad came with his army, he said, oh boy, this is, this, is, this is a problem. I'm almost home. Maybe this is the moment where, God forbid, I'm going to get attacked. 
And that's why the Pasuk begins in this week's Perasha, because it's introducing why Yaakov would be skeptical about the prophecy. It has to tell me the reason why he was skeptical is he was leaving Eretz Israel to go to Haran. And since he was going to the location where there was less reception, now you understand the events at the end of the parasha, why Yaakov Avinu says, Im Elohim So, so look, 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 look what we did over here. We've offered no less than six or maybe even seven different approaches to Yetzei Yaakov Be'er Shaba Harana. I will review them in 30 seconds, just so you can remember. The first interpretation we said was from Rashi, when the tzaddik leaves, there's a vacuum. Vayetzei Yaakov. We said from the tour, that he got there in instant time. We saw from the Nitzim from Velazhin, pause. Because see, there was a pause. He stopped off for 14 years. We saw from the Bet Levi, to fulfill his mother's wish to get out of town. To fulfill his father's wish to go to Padan Aram. We saw from the Gra that the extra letters in the Pasuk are the letters Yud Vav Hechaf, which is the Shem of Shemira Baderech, because Yaakov would need now a protection. And that's why we say Yahid Virabim Alakakarabim. But the glorious interpretation of Rabbi Azariah Ficho, he says, the reason why it tells me by Yetzei Yaakov to teach me why he was questioning if the dream that he had was indeed a prophecy or not. We'll stop over here.